0: Good morning and welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for September 25th, 2016. Koyo Kubose here. So very glad you were able to join us this morning. Nice autumn has started, so it's nice cool weather is coming. I'm sure many of us welcome that nice cool weather. And it's a favorite time of the year for a lot of people. Uh, A lot of people like Halloween and uh, pumpkins, pumpkin pie, pumpkin bread, uh, apple spices. And uh, nobody likes hot weather. (laughs) You know, most people, they would rather have a, be cold than hot. I think that's true. Do you have a morning routine? I think most of us, we think about it, we do have a morning routine. When you get out of bed, um, uh, maybe some of us have it a little bit stronger than others in terms of, exactly what we do, in what order. And there's a kind of comfort, I guess, in that. Maybe it's because in the end, you don't know, have to think about things. And uh, But I, one part of the routine, my morning routine, uh, we have two dogs. EZ is the yellow lab. He's about eight years old, a golden retriever, five years old. And they're part of our morning routine. Um, So it's time to start the day because I think they're, well, I was going to say dogs, but I think all living beings were sensitive to uh, light and dark and so whenever uh, uh, sunrise and outside the sky gets lighter brighter it's time to wake up very primitive uh, photosensitivity and uh, it, it's also interesting I was reading I remember reading uh in psychology class, and they're talking about why do we sleep, or our our body, or what, or and uh, it's not exactly clear why sleep is necessary. And one theory was that, well, when it gets dark, a lot of predators come out, and so the early our early ancestors in caveman days. Uh, they have to be still, just lie still and, you know, kind of hide. There's some large predators in roaming around at night. So that was why we go to sleep at night. Uh, it's kind of scary out there. Anyway, okay, I'm going to tell you my one part of my morning routine. Two dogs. And... They know the routine, too, and they'll wait patiently as I get up and do you know, go through morning routine. But for them, I want to tell you this particular routine that I share with my dogs when they go get the, the morning newspaper. And, uh, of course, they know dogs... Um, and I say, well, is it time people get the paper? Is it even when it's precious time? Is it time to get the paper? Oh, they get excited. Okay. <laughs> is it time? They get excited. Is it? They get excited. This is simple conditioning. But you notice this right away. And uh, <clears throat> so they don't miss a thing. Nonverbal cues, everything. So okay, Um, you know we're on six-acre property, all wooded, and um, the street is a cul-de-sac. There's not much traffic. The neighbors are far away, and uh, paradise for dogs. They run around freely, and. Our house is set back from the road, making about 300 yards, a long gravel driveway. And um, I remember one time we had the family visiting and standing outside the house, and I mentioned, gee, I wonder if I should get our driveway paved. Some people paved their driveway, or even concrete, you know, that's expensive. Maybe you can get an asphalt. And one family member, she said, no, 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 you, you, you just gravel. I said, oh, oh. And uh, I guess they like the natural, the natural look of it. And uh, so I'm never going to pave my asphalt in my driveway. It didn't make much difference to me, but, yeah, keep it nice, natural-looking. And we have trees that grow on the side of the driveways and <clears throat> arch over the driveway. That's really nice. And we have overarching trees and our the house is sort of a like a hideaway. You know, it's set back, and uh, I kind of really like that you know um, not right on the street. Some people like to be right up on the street, see all the action, see who's going by and everything. But I just sat back nice and quiet. So I have to describe the scene uh, and the dogs, <coughs> well, okay. So time to get the paper. So go to the front door. Our dogs... Uh, <coughs> And not that well-behaved in terms of being trained. But we do have uh, some of our routines, okay? um, and I didn't want them to rush out the front door so they know to wait for the signal. And this works in the morning as part of our routine. They wait until okay, I give them a nonverbal signal. Or if I say okay, you know, they'll, they'll run out. But usually I don't say anything. I just I just give a little wave with my hand, and then they, they wait for that. It looks like they're very well trained, but other times of the day, if some visitor comes and you come to stay and you open the door, they'll, they'll rush out there. Okay, It's very context-specific okay. in terms of this routine. They're not really well trained really get a kind of this one moment as part of our morning routine. I open the door they they wait and I kinda of look outside. It's kind of a habit uh when you live in the foothills a lot of wildlife is around and um so I, I look the door and I, and I kind of look around. And I look right on the on the um, doormat, right around the door. I mean, you know, maybe there's a snake there. Maybe there's a big old tarantula spider or, you know, it's just that kind of second nature now. So I, I, I open the door and I look around. And then I'd take my hand and i wave it and then the dogs run out. And just like it's time to get the paper. And then it's time. It's they, they, they get so abbreviated the term joke. You know, what will you listen? So <clears throat> I don't have to move my hand very much. <clears throat> just like Policeman looking at somebody's hands all the time when they're make an arrest. Tell me your hands uh, so first, I just wave my hand and my arm I you know make the and they run out. Then I just have to move just my hand is it it's my my arm is hanging down by my side, and then just my index finger makes the movement, and they run out. And then so I kind of make it into a game for myself, and I just twitch my finger
1: just a little bit, and they'll run out. They don't miss a thing,
0: and it brings a smile to my face how I'm starting the day like this, this, this little routine. And they run out there. And, of course, dogs are territorial, I guess, and they know that things have been out there at night. So they go out there to see who's been around the house. And, of course, their noses are very sensitive. So they go out there and say, who's been around here? You know, this is part of their, their, what, their what their nature is. Like big shots. Who was around my property? And they look around. And sometimes they get a good scent of something. And they start running mm-hmm. You know, all over and then I'm walking down the gravel driveway to go get the news we, we get the earth, our newspaper as an early morning edition and uh, uh, so they go and we and as they as I go and approach the the uh, road up there they just toss the paper You know, as they go, as they go driving by, they throw throw the paper out, and it's at the head of the driveway. And the dogs are going with me, and they're gone. They're almost off to the side, running around here and there. And we get the paper, and uh, once in a while, if the timing is right, there's some early morning doggers uh, or walkers. A couple of ladies, they walk, they go walking and they they have about three or four, maybe five dogs with them. Our dogs are friendly. Yeah, and, yeah you got quite a walking group there. Yeah, every morning we do it, you know. And uh, <clears throat> our dogs are so friendly. They. Watch. Okay, that's enough, boys. Come on, come on. I'm all saying. Okay, boys. Okay, boys. Anyway, most mornings, nobody's around. And when I get the paper, I want to go back. Okay. Let's go back, boys. Shall we have some breakfast? Okay. Let's go get something to eat. They know that word, that phrase. <laughs> eat. <laughs> Let's go get something to eat. Yeah. I, I just said, probably just I could probably just say, eat, time to eat, and so we'll go back, Uh, and I was thinking, that little gesture, and the part of the routine, I always smile, I just jerk my, move my index finger just a little bit, and they run out there, and I smile. You know, and then to see them charging out there—what a way to start the day, the morning, you know. Um, and I thought, well, the phrase came to mind: "Little is big." These little things that kind of give us—well, uh, not exactly joy, but kind of a joyful. Dharma Glimpse, Right Tongue Lay Minister David Choyo. Uh, he is part of our LM7 group. Lives in Pennsylvania. And uh, he is going to share a Dharma Glimpse with us today.
1: Oh, hello, Sangha. Um, I'd like to share today with you something I've been going through. I had Dharma talk almost on sectarianism, and I had planned to give that, but something really emotional happened this past month, and I thought it would be more uh, meaningful to talk about that. And we've all heard the phrase, when good things happen to bad people. Well, my talk today, I want to reflect upon when good intentions lead to bad outcomes. So um, I do wildlife uh, rehab, and a friend had found a baby squirrel that her cat brought home earlier this month. And so I offered to, you know, try to nurse it back to health. And unfortunately, it was paralyzed, but I think, it you know, it still had a good chance to live. And long story short, it was in my care, and I made a terrible misjudgment, and... The squirrel died, and it really was, like, my fault. I can't rationalize it, all, this or that. I made an unmindful choice. It was a bad decision, and it died. And I really still feel I'm having a real problem with self-forgiveness, and so I wanted to reflect on that uh, during my talk. So I went to the suit and the sutras, and there really isn't a whole lot about self-forgiveness that the Buddha spoke about, which I thought was rather interesting. And so I looked, uh, you know, in psychology and some other places for for this, dealing with, you know, guilt. Um, In the monastic uh, codes, it actually has killing an animal as a minor infraction, but... (sighs) Strangely, like if you were to have sexual intercourse with an animal, that would be like you'd be thrown out of the, you know, so I thought that was really strange. But anyway, so reflecting on this, I came upon some things like um, there's um, moral failings and then there's unskillful failings. And so this really would come under just unskillfulness. It really isn't a moral fault. I had a good intention. But, you know, they say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And, you know, I really have been feeling like that crazed uh, mother who went all all over the countryside trying to... uh, Bring her dead baby back to life And then she came to the Buddha And the Buddha said Find a mustard seed from a house That hasn't experienced death And, you know, that woke her up And But I feel like I'm still struggling And I know about impermanence And I, I know about all this But I just wish things weren't so impermanent When you actually are struggling with, you know Seeing an innocent baby suffering And it wasn't my fault that it fell out of the tree. And, you know, slightly rambling, but I hope you'll hang in there because it it is an emotional thing, and I I wanted to pick something deeply personal to reflect on. And these are just some things I've been thinking that have helped me through this problem of grief and self-forgiveness. So looking in the um, Pure Land Tradition, They talk about the bamboo nature, about how everybody's fallible and vulnerable, and I I just really had to come to terms with how fallible I am and how vulnerable all life is. Not that I didn't know this previously, but it's just like totally uh, how deeply fallible I can be and how deeply vulnerable and impermanent things are. And... I've reflected on them before, but when something like this happens, it just really takes you deep into these things. And I've just been coming to the conclusion that the best thing I can do is to uh, just try to be of more service and uh, continue on with my, you know, helping wildlife and being more compassionate with people as I can be and to not let that, be the end of the story because the way the mind works with grief and guilt is it's like a rubber band, it your mind just keeps coming back to that, you know, traumatic incident and you just can't let that be the end of the story. You have to like the story going. And so I'm trying to think of that little squirrel as I named him Rinpoche, which means precious one. I'm trying to think of him as an enlightened Buddha and They say your root guru, your, you know, root teacher is the one that inspires you the most. And, like, right now, that little baby squirrel that was, you know, paralyzed, but he kept going. And, you know, he's a source of inspiration for me now. And I think about the um, story of Avalokiteshvara, how when he went to Tibet, he was just overcome with, with sadness for the people and their suffering and their hard hearts. And he cried, you know, and from those tears, Tara, Lady Tara emerged and told him, it's okay, we'll keep going. I'll be with you. We can do this. And so I've been thinking of that and thinking of that little squirrel as an enlightened Buddha and as a source of inspiration to help me keep going. And really, um, in reflecting on this keeping going, it's really a, a keeping of compassion and a going with skillful means because they really have to be balanced out. Because you know, although I had the compassion to help this little squirrel, my skill was lacking, and so um, it's just I have to use that as an inspiration to not just have compassion, uh, but to always maintain mindfulness and heedfulness and skillfulness with that and you know, the um being heedful is and mindful, the Buddha always emphasized, and really we can't be of great compassionate service unless we maintain that, you know, heedfulness and mindfulness and skillfulness and of course, being as deeply fallible as we are, you know, we have to rely on that other power, and um, you know, if I was caring, whenever I care for animals, I do. I like to chant to them the um, the mantras of Amitabha and Tara and Avalokiteshvara, um, and they say that plants a seed for you know a, a better rebirth in them, and I don't know. When when you have a tra- trauma like this, and it makes you doubt everything in a way, and so this not knowing is another aspect. Like I don't know if these mantras help. I don't know if this practice, these practices help, and so it's a great doubt. But yet this great doubt is something that you know they talk about in Buddhism. The greater the doubt, the greater the awakening. And so these are some of the things I've been thinking of as You know I'm working through this self-forgiveness and this guilt and trying to keep going through it all. And so it's my Dharma reflection for today. I hope it's of value to somebody out there. And thank you all for listening. And if there's any merit that has been accrued, let's dedicate it um, to the enlightenment of all beings. And thank you all. Namaste.
0: Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, Self reflection, introspection is the Buddhist methodology or M.O. in the spirituality to look at how am I doing, You you know, and to rather than looking outward when things go bad we have to cultivate wisdom and sometimes wisdom is is not pleasant to as we struggle along the way but I was reminded as I listened to a very impactful story that I heard uh, you will see the similarity here it's a it's a little, a little different, but in some ways the same. Um, <clears throat> I was traveling up to the Seattle area some years ago, and uh, I was a guest speaker there and Seattle uh, Temple part of the uh, Buddhist Churches of America. So it's a, <clears throat> uh, Jodo Shinshu Temple. And they, um, a few years back, they instituted um, called MAP, M-A-P, which is an acronym for Minister's Assistance, Minister's Assistant Program, M-A-P. And <clears throat> see, in most religious institution hierarchies, there's clergy and there's lay. Two separate groups and there's a big 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 gap between the two. Between the highly trained clergy and then the lay people that they serve the congregation. And so some parts of members of the congregation are, are very capable and very interested in becoming leaders but you know, they're lay they don't want to they have a their own job and what not they don't need to go into the ministry as an occupation so this is a very good system, and you can get uh so most of the large temples they have ministerial assistance to help to get the altar ready for you know Sunday service and things like this um and under supervision, they, they can help out when the load gets heavy in terms of religious services that are necessary, this and that. And um, before the Sunday service, maybe you have about 15 minutes. You're in the waiting room. You robe up, and and uh, and I was waiting with a ministerial assistant, um, middle-aged Caucasian man. And uh, so I asked him, how did you to Buddhism? uh, And he said, well, uh, what started it all, he said, (laughs) and he told this story, he was uh, grew up in a southern state. I don't remember where it was, maybe Mississippi, Alabama, someplace. And he and his brother, when they were young men, they went hunting. His brother was a hunter, their assistant. You know, he says, well, I wasn't into hunting that much, but my brother was enthusiastic, so I went with him, and we went uh, hunting with... Uh, bow and archery, bow and arrow. I guess, I can't remember what they call it, but the the ones not not, uh, recurve bow, like an Indian, American Indian might use, but it's that more modern type, crossbow type. Okay, it's hunting, very powerful. And they're in the woods, and uh, this ministerial assistant They shot this raccoon, and the arrow pinned the raccoon to the trunk of a tree. And then they approached the raccoon. It was still alive, and his eyes had a look in his eyes as their eyes met. His ministerial assistant and the raccoon, and he says that the, the eyes the raccoon's eyes had the expression of well, "why why did you do this to me?"
1: and that really
0: impacted this hunter young hunter and he he said he never hunted after that and in fact for a number of years after that he became a vegetarian and he said as he reflected upon this you know, his spiritual journey, that was a start. Okay. Um, and then it led him eventually to Buddhism and so forth. Uh, uh, in retrospect, we could say, as we process these things in our spiritual journey, that raccoon was a bodhisattva raccoon in Choyo's glimpse A squirrel was a bodhisattva squirrel. Some unfortunate life event. We don't seek, we don't have to seek out unfortunate things that have powerful impact that really influence us. Things will happen despite our intentions and everything, or even, even because of them, it somehow leads to an event that. Affects us. And a lot of times in the spiritual world, misfortune is fortune, which is the title of an essay in uh, one of my father's books where he, where he writes about okay, misfortune is fortune in the spiritual world. Okay. It's because we're hungry that we come to appreciate food. Okay. It's because we get ill. That we, start, we, we appreciate good health. So the Dharma works in mysterious ways.
1: <laughs>
0: That's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, yes, keep going and you have a beautiful day. Thank you.